You are listening to You've Got Five Options show, where every week Marta and Anna abandon their five children, two partners, and one cat to make a show especially for you. An artist, a challenge, a bullshit, a wisdom, and a surprise. Tune in and feel the magic of fire. Hello, everyone. This is Marta. This is Sina. And this is You've Got Five Options show. So if you were listening to us last time, you know that Anna is not coming today. And you could hear that, obviously, since Sina said hi, not Anna. And I promise next time Anna will be on the show. And today we have a special guest with us. Yes. uh, With an amazing name to start with, Isha Samad. This is like such a great name. You'll do some great stuff, girl, in life. Thank you. Yeah, yeah there's power in yes. that. Yeah, yeah there, there is. is. And I wish you guys could also see uh, Isha. She's a beautiful lady sitting here next to me, uh, between me and Sina. And yeah, it's, it's an honor. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for coming. Of course. Thanks for inviting me. And Isha uh, is stepping up some of a courageous game here today. (laughs) And she's going to talk to us about freeing herself from a toxic, abusive relationship. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, It always takes some courage and bravery to open your heart and talk about this kind of topic. So it is much appreciated. Thanks a lot. But before we uh, we go there, it would be great to get to know you a little bit uh, better. Yeah. So, Isha, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? <laughs> My name is Isha. Uh, I'm from Pakistan. Just turned 30 last year. Um, yeah, recently moved to Aarhus uh, from Copenhagen for work. Work for UNICEF. Denmark, just as a regional leader. And uh, yeah, that's me. Okay, so what does a regional leader in UNICEF do? So we started our department in Aarhus. So that's like for entire ULEN. And that's just acquisition. Basically, we collect money, so the projects are running smoothly. And that's what I'm in charge for. Oh, so you're a yeah. money collector. Yeah, I'm like a <laughs> yeah manager kind of thing. But yeah, I have a team of 15 to 20 people that I work with here. And slowly we are planning to expand. Okay, great. Well, that's a very honorable job. Uh, thank you for <laughs> thank doing you. that in Newland. Of course. So another question. Yeah. Who did you want to be when you were growing up? Um, you mean... A person that I admired or just... Well, it could be a person. It could be some people like uh, Anna, who is not here when she was growing up. When she was two, she wanted to be a cleaning lady. No. Uh, Then she wanted to be a writer. Uh, So, you know, there can be different things when you were a kid. (laughs) When I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a Formula One driver. 
Oh, wow. very ambitious. <laughs> cool, but yeah, <laughs> that's ex- that explains your uh, yeah. I've I've noticed that you have your like an enthusiasm. Yeah, in Formula One. Oh, I, I that, love that it. That explains your need for a speed. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've always liked, you know, car racing and racing. And then I just got into Formula One a lot. And now that's how I spend most of my weekends, Saturday, Sunday, watching the race. I thought that maybe driving in the races, that would be a twist in the story. (laughs) That is the dream. (laughs) Have you ever tried? Uh, Not in Formula One, but I have actually, when I was back in Pakistan, was just into some street racing and uh, that's it. Okay, so yeah. how does a Formula One uh, <laughs> driver become a UNICEF uh, <laughs> leader for the region? Yeah, you see, when you grow up, you become more practical. Yeah, like uh, to be in Formula One, you actually need a lot of money, a lot. And you have to start at an early age, like seven to eight. So I hope yes. that's not the money you're collecting right no, now. No, 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 no. <laughs> I thought that the money can better be used at better places <laughs> for the kids, for the world. So that's just a dream, but yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what brought you to Denmark? Um, as the topic for today, I wanted to get out of that relationship. And I knew because of the culture and social stuff, that's very hard without having anything in mind to get, just to know that I want to get out of it. So after my master's, I applied for like a skilled migration to Denmark and to Australia, actually. And I heard from Denmark first. And at that time, they were the happiest people in the world. So I wanted to be happy. Mm. So I was just like, okay, let me check out this country and see what it has for me. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. So we already know that you love Formula One still. <laughs> um, and that's how you spend your weekends. Yeah. Anything else that are your hobbies or passions? I love reading. And then I also write sometimes. But I think I'm a little too shy. So I need to learn from Cine to appreciate <laughs> whatever I write in that thing. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I do. I like writing. That's just like a therapy. But otherwise, reading... I love reading. Okay, what what do you write? So, because I like uh, to write stuff that is as close to reality as possible. So I'm not into fiction that much when it comes to reading and also writing. So just, uh, I would call it something motivational. Like, you know, just uh, as close to reality as possible. And just to, you know, explaining our raw side that we have as humans. So not just writing like, you know, big things, do this, do that, you will get there. But we all have that vulnerable side of us that I think is very important that we address it. We acknowledge it and we appreciate it. Okay, so is there like a book in the making? (laughs) You have a beautiful voice in that area too of writing. Really? Yes, that's sweet. I actually did during the lockdown last time, I did start, uh, start to write something. It's only... 31 pages yet and I didn't get the time to really keep writing so I haven't written in like a couple of months but yeah when it's done and when I feel like that okay now it's the time for that to come out hopefully it will okay (laughs) well definitely looking forward to that so 
let's see if that gets us somewhere. Sina, do you have any more questions that could help us get to know Isha? Well, I well I know that about the the books, and I just think it's um, I'm just very excited what is gonna come for you. Maybe you can or kind of be a mentor. I'll be like, oh. see me, reread <laughs> what I've written, proofread it. <laughs> Thank you. I will definitely cheer you on. I, I feel uh, that we all need that. And, uh, well, you know, Marta has been that a lot to me around, you know, finding my voice in both uh, writing and also singing. So it's, yeah, it's just important that we have yeah. those people. Um yeah, well, it's interesting. I just thought to to bring that up because Isha and I uh, know each other a little bit. Yeah. And um, because we ran into each other on the streets. Yeah, we did. Four times uh, yeah. without... <laughs> without even any planning or anything. Yeah, just ran into each two other. Two times in Copenhagen and two times in Aarhus. And yeah, it's just beautiful, like how the universe works in that way and you're like okay maybe there's a hint that there's something here that you need to talk about yeah um so i'm just i think that was not so much a question but more like a statement that i'm i'm really grateful to have run into you and i'm curious about this conversation and and hearing more about yeah you've been a, a huge support actually also, like, just running into you, talking where, you know, you don't have to, like, you know, pretend anything, just going with the flow. So that had that had been your thing, Sina. And I, I enjoy your company. So thank, thank you. you. <laughs> so yeah. now that we are thanking each other, thank you, Sina, for <laughs> uh, bringing Isha to the thank you, uh, radio. And thank you, Isha, for coming. So it's a full circle. Yes. Yeah. And thank you, Dave, for recording us. Oh, yes. Anytime. Anytime. <laughs> let's. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, I would no, like I to thank my mom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Today, I am grateful yeah, for. Exactly. Yeah. That is. That's. Yeah. Yes. Lovely. And I'm, yeah, it's great to hear more about your story. And um, let's dive yes. more into that. Mm -hmm. So, Isha, when we were having a conversation on the phone preparing yeah. for an interview today, you told me that you were in an arranged marriage. Mm -hmm. So, can you tell us a little bit about how it actually happened? So, um, my ex-husband, he was a business partner with my dad. Um, and my dad thought he would be a good match. So that was proposed to me, the idea. And I actually only found out like 20 days before I was supposed to get married. And then we just met a couple of times. And at that time, I was 17 years old. Uh, and I actually, I think I turned 17 after one month of getting married. So that was very quick. But yeah, arranged marriage, not forced, because I was a kid, so I thought, oh my God, it would be fun, you know, to have a big fancy wedding, wear a lot of fancy clothes, and kind of a party. Mm. But I didn't realize it is a, it is a massive, huge thing mm. to be together with somebody, yeah. So how old was he? We know that you were almost 17 when you were getting married, and how old yeah. was he? So he was 23. 23? Yeah. Okay. 
So your father was the one who thought it was a good match? Yes. And that's something he, your parents told you about? Yeah, not my mom, but my dad did tell me because they were business partners. And he also, like, we met a couple of times on, like, a family dinner or formal, you know, get-togethers. So he liked me too. We talked to my dad. And then it happened. It was like, okay, the idea is out on the table. Okay, so what was your first impression of him? Of your ex-husband? To be honest, he was a Formula 2 driver at that time. So, and you are a kid, you know, at that time. So I didn't think much. I was just uh, charmed by him, I would say. Like, wow, he's a Formula 2 driver. Above that, I couldn't see anything, you know, that I have to do all that investigation and think rationally and it has to make sense. And of course, when it came from my dad, because in our, in our culture in the culture that I come from, elders make the decision, especially dads, and I knew that my dad loves me, so of course he would do what is best for me. Did I just had a question, around, like, was it something that had been a topic before? No. Or was it, so it, it kind of, it you hadn't expected it? No. Like, to, to be married in that way? No, I no. didn't because it was only like 20 days before I found out and it was just like, okay, here's this person. You have seen him a couple of times on dinner and then in those 20 days we started talking and meeting a little bit, but the time span was very short. So it wasn't you know, an, an expectation growing up? or no. no, no, not at all. So you were charmed with him? Because of Formula 2, I would yeah, say. Formula yeah. two. <laughs> so, and it was something you agreed to? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I couldn't say no. That's not how it works in, in our culture. So if I say no, that means I'm trying to break the family or the big decision or something. So it was just like my dad proposed and I was like, okay, fine. We'll okay. See. So it was not forced, but it was not free to say no either. No, it was not free <laughs> yeah. to say no. No. Oh, right. So it's like this very subtle yeah. kind of balance that you're trying to keep uh, in the family, right? Yeah. Not to break the harmony. Mm, yeah. Uh, and uh, especially it's very pampered, like the way at least I, I was raised and how it is in the culture, especially in Pakistan and Southeast Asia. It's very pampering. Like, so if you're a girl, you don't have much of the freedom, you know? From a very early age, when you are three, four years even, you are told like, hey, dress like this, eat like this, wear like this, you're a girl, you're supposed to be nice, like be polite. So it's this thing that if you're a girl, you have to please people, long story short, yeah. Yeah, you don't come across as people pleaser, so I think you have broken <laughs> out of that. <laughs> I have, definitely. Yes, of and that thank shell. you for noticing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, all right, so you found out around uh, 20 days before the yeah. wedding and the wedding happened. How did you feel on the wedding day? Well, I had my final exams uh, for my high school, so I was freaking out. I was like, I don't want to fail. This is like, you know, uh, I, I want to pass my exams. So I wasn't much involved in the preparation, except that they would just take my measurements and, hey, which color do you like? What kind of dress you want? And then I was just in my room studying all the time. And then the wedding day came. The wedding day came. How did yeah. you feel on your wedding day? Very uh, 
restless and irritated actually. I remember I couldn't sleep the night before even though I was not studying or working or anything. I had like all my cousins at my parents' place just to prepare like hey tomorrow is the big day. And I I remember I spent the night all alone in my room and I was just not sure what's what is this life, you know, what is it going to bring me from tomorrow? It's going to be a huge change or I don't know how would it be. So it's like unknown but also you know your gut feeling where it's very restless like you don't know mm. so there was a lot of uncertainty simply the fear of the unknown which is a very yeah. human thing to have yeah. but also some gut feeling that maybe it was not entirely yeah sitting right on your stomach yeah i think i started realizing that all this is happening very fast and i don't know and it's a decision of like spending the rest of your life with somebody so yeah definitely Yeah, because how is just a, a question from someone who doesn't know but divorce is yeah. that what how is that looked upon like is that an option it's not an option for girls though back no. in 2016 when i moved to denmark uh, girls in actually pakistan they did not have a right to apply for divorce And that okay. was one of the reasons why I wanted to move and get away from there to a country where I'm free at least yeah. I can do whatever I want. And telling and involving your family doesn't help too because divorce has been looked upon as like such a shitty thing like oh my god that is an unsuccessful person or she's a failure or something. So it's a lot of social pressure involved. Yeah comes to you know divorce and even thinking of it because i remember telling my mom and dad cuz i was with him for seven years it was a long time and uh yeah i mean i tried my best i tried everything i could to get out of it while i was there but somehow i couldn't so yeah that's what universe had for me denmark <laughs> but let's take a few steps mm. back into yeah. so th so then the wedding day came and mm -hmm. you you went along with it mm -hmm. uh, you Definitely. said i got ready and all that makeup and fancy clothes and guests everything yeah and then the party is over mm -hmm. and what started there then for you uh i actually uh, i realized because you know he was the first guy that i ever was with you know So I didn't know much about anything like I was so shit in relationships you can say because the first one is always like this experimentation and you know not knowing how to handle the other person but all in all the first month after the wedding was quite good actually I felt like wow I'm happy you know he's doing all these things for me and he's taking care of me like a baby and all that you know teenage love kind of feelings for the first month It was like that, but uh, not afterwards. So the first month mm. was you experienced the teenage, yeah, a yeah. teenage infatuation kind yeah, of, I uh, did, a kind of a thing. So, um, what were the first signs of that something was not going in the right direction? The first signs um, was actually one of the signs was I was I, I started feeling that I'm not myself when i'm around him i'm trying to because you're a kid at that time so i felt like i was trying to kind of 
live my life according to him. So if he says it's day, I would say it's day without even looking outside. If it's, he says it's night, I'll just be like, okay, it's night. If he's calling white black, I'm going to call it black too. So it was just so much, you know, that you're attached to somebody. And especially marriage in our culture is a very permanent thing, once in a lifetime kind of thing. So I think all having all those thoughts, it wasn't, you know, much to resist. And so you were just finishing high school mm -hmm. when you were about the marriage time. So did you go to the university? I did. That's one of the deals that my dad had with uh, him and also with me because he knew that I loved continuing my education. So they already uh, had a deal that I will continue my education and my dad would be paying the fee or he would be paying the fee, whoever. But I would just live like a normal life where I go to university or get something that I want to do. All right. So first uh, charming period is uh, over after about a month or so. Yeah. But you continue your life also on the side. You have your studies and so on. Yeah. And you notice that you're not yourself around mm -hmm. him, that you you just kind of like try to adapt to where he is and what he does. So what were the next steps of this relationship going? The next steps uh, was actually um, we used to live together with his dad. So me, him and his, his dad, we were living in the same house. And the first wake up call that really, you know, made me crazy was when his dad uh, did a rape attempt on me. So I was just like, whoa, that's new and that's crazy. Like, what the hell is happening? How am I going to get through this situation? Mm. So after that, I think for maybe a couple, Two, three weeks, I was still trying to figure out in my head how to tell my ex about this shitty thing because he loved his dad and I was just like, he's not going to believe me. He's just going to say you're lying or something. But afterwards, after two, three weeks, when it got out of control, I had to tell him. So I told him and luckily he believed me because that was also true. So he just said, I know you don't lie, uh, but the thing is, I love you and I love my dad. So you will have to figure out a way to live with him in the same house. And it's okay if you want to get along with it, with my dad. But I don't want to, I don't want you to tell this, like this thing should be a secret. It shouldn't go outside the walls of this house or something like that. So that was the first wake up call for me. Not to leave him, but in at that time it was more like, I want to change him. I want to make him understand like, hey, this is not right and I will make it work. So that kind of thing. So did he actually, did I understand correctly that he consented you going along with his father's? Yes, he did. Yeah. And he did. If you want, you can go further with it, but make sure nobody knows about it, not even your family. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing I was like, okay, you know, people who love you, they don't treat you like this, you know. I, I was expecting him to be more understanding, to take a stand for me. It's like, okay, we'll move to like, you know, somewhere where it's just me and you. Because I knew money or house was not the problem. So it was not like logistical issues. If he wanted, he could have done it. So w what do you do then? 
you your husband does not take a stand for you yeah he he tells you basically that reputation is yeah. the most important thing Honor. and whatever happens you know inside the house it doesn't actually matter that much as long as uh, on the outside it looks yeah all right what do you, what did you do then Well, I didn't do much. I tried to we started having fights because I was just like this is not okay. I don't feel comfortable when you are not at home and I'm home alone with your dad. I don't feel safe. And that started happening a lot of times, you know. He would send his dad to pick me up from university or and so I felt very um, worthless if if that makes sense. Because I was just like, this is such a huge thing. I told him, and instead of doing something about it, he's actually doing the opposite. So I started spending more time at my parents' place, at my mom's place. But it was just a couple of hours after uni. He he used he would come to pick me up uh, like every night or evening. Did you ever tell your mom what's happening? Sadly, no. She knows to this day. She does. But I didn't tell her for the first four years, mm-hmm. and that was just the first year of the marriage when all this came up. So, tell us about the process of mm-hmm. what's been happening in your head when you just continued from that year one. I I I, I hear that was a shock, yeah. And you were trying to find yourself, you know, after the first shock. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of stayed in it. Yes. So tell 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 us more about that process that was happening in so your head. After the shock, um, I was just, I was super sure that I'm in love with him and I want to make it work. And the kind of person I am, if I go in, I go all in. There is nothing left that I could not do. And that's why even to, to this day, I know that I have never worked for anything in my life this hard that I worked to make that relationship work. But then that process where it feels like no you can do it you know everything is positive you just got to make it work then to that okay it's not working again failing the 10,000 times what are you going to do next so of course i started paying more attention to my studies where i would spend time with my friends so i feel that i'm valued or i'm doing something productive but it went on and on and on and then uh before i even realized i was depressed mm-hmm. and that depression turned into a suicide attempt and i think after that attempt i was a changed person i was not like before yeah so tell us tell us about that time around the suicide so you you fell into depression yes and when when did the suicidal thoughts started to come Um I was on Xanax. I don't know if people know about that or no, but I was yeah. uh prescribed from my doctor, but I actually overdosed it. So started with one and the time that I realized that I'm really suicidal right now and I'm addicted, I was taking 13 a day. Mm. So that was 10 times more than a normal person should do. So I was depressed and I was an addict and I was unhappy. Mm. So all those things combined and uh but I'm not I'm not ashamed at all that I did that attempt because that changed me that changed me as a person a lot and I think I am where I am because of that incident has has a lot to do. So do you remember that exact day? 
I do, of yeah. course. Can you tell us about it? Do you want me to tell the date too? You're welcome to. <laughs> okay, well, the date was uh, 14th October 2014 when I attempted suicide. I remember the day. The last person I wanted to talk was my mom. And I love KFC. So I ate KFC that day. And I was so ready in my mind, like, you know, I'm going to sleep for a whole month or I'm not going to be seeing this world ever again. So I ate my KFC. I had a cola. I called my mom and I'm like, mom, you know what? I love you so much. You better take care of yourself because you don't know if I would talk to you again. And my mom was like, you sound weird. You just came from uni. You are at home. Are you okay? You never talk like this because even your way of expressing love is very, uh, is very, you know, cold, if you can say. Yeah, like, I, I won't say this, like, while crying, oh, I, would, I can't live without you or something. So she, sa- she sent something weird. And that was the day when, uh, not that day, but I would say a week or two ago, or even a year because it was October 2014 when uh, abuse, uh, physical and sexual and psychological abuse started with my husband too, so not his dad anymore. Add on, him too. So that day I was tired because first he kind of raped me and then I was crying and he didn't really care about it. And that's when I remember the feeling that I thought I don't matter. Like, even if you die, Isha, this world is going to be the same. So you know what? You better go for it. Just these thoughts after Xanax too, because if I think about it, that wasn't, I wasn't myself when I was on Xanax. I'm not a normal, normally like this. I love life. So yeah, that triggered me. Then talked to my mom. Then I took, I think, around 250 Xanax, all the stock that I had. And I was like, okay, bye-bye world, I'm going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what happened? Well, what happened, because I was stupid enough not to plan it accordingly, you know, because you're depressed at that time. So he was at home, my ex-husband and his dad. And I think after... 15 minutes or so, he comes in, he sees all that Xanax lying around in the room and he sees that I'm fainted or what is wrong with her. He took me to the hospital uh, and my mom was calling me, calling him because she could sense something is wrong. So she showed up at the hospital. I don't remember anything more because I I only know that I was in a coma or, you know, unconscious state for 48 hours and my mom was the only one sitting there right next to me she did not eat she did not sleep she was like there praying or you know just like I don't want to lose my daughter and then uh, my dad was in a very important business meeting so he thought that was more important than to to come see me he came later uh, after two days but not that day So I can only remember my mom. And then uh, my ex was also in the meeting with my dad. The first thing he says when he sees me after two days and he knows that I did this and he also knows that he was a cause of it, the abuse and everything, he said that, hey, you know what? Next time you want to die, 
don't die at my home or place because I have fame, I have honor, I have a reputation. I don't want people to, I don't want people to say like, you know, his wife committed suicide or something. So you do it on a road because I, I don't want to take that burden. And that thing, and of course it was a huge thing that I tried to take my life and then I survived. So that that really changed me as a person. So how many years into the marriage that was? Five years. Five years. Yeah. And the abuse from him, how long did it last? It lasted even until the last day. He dropped me at the airport where I was about to take a plane. So it started after, I would say, four or five months of getting into that marriage until the end. So... Five years into the marriage, you co you you come to your boundary. You mm -hmm. come to the place where you no longer see the sense mm -hmm. of living, and you say goodbye to the world. Yes. Yet you don't survive. die. Yeah, you survive, and you say that it changed you. Yes, it did. It did yeah. a lot. So, after more or less two days, you start coming back to your conscious, after to your consciousness. A week or two. Yeah. yeah. After a week or two, mm -hmm. you start coming to your consciousness. Yeah. So t do you remember your first thoughts of coming yeah, out on the other side? I do. My first thought was I started applying for jobs everywhere because at that time I was done doing my bachelor's. I applied for a master's and I was applying for a job because I didn't want to take any money from my dad or from my ex. You know, just that anger that I'm at that point and yet they don't care money matters to them more than than a life so I think that made me really angry yet motivated to do something for myself so I got a job I got into a master's and then I stopped giving a fuck about anything in my life I was just like no after this from now on I live my life on my terms on my rules on my, for me, not not for other people. So it was a huge breakthrough. It was, it definitely. Was, it was before and after. Yes. It was before deepest to the depression and not feeling like you're worthy living. Yes. Into just in a matter of one event mm -hmm. coming out and saying, fuck it. Yes. I'm gonna live my life. Yeah. And did you keep on living with him? I had to because there was no other option. I was trying to convince my dad and mom that I could stay at their place. But he started getting this feeling that he's losing me and I'm becoming distant. So then I, I was living with him for sure. There was not even a single night when I wasn't with him. Mm. The thing that motivated was actually going out, working, first of all. Going take you know to take classes to uni to start a master's. To see my friends. That was like the three positive things in my life. And for the whole day, I looked up, you know, I, I really looked forward to that time where I'm going to do one of these three things. Mm -hmm. So I would get my mind off that and I would be away from him. Mm -hmm. So your mom and your dad did not want to let you live with them? My mom did. But uh, so to say, women, unfortunately, don't have that much power living in that society so my mom couldn't do anything instead of uh, like you know just the moral support and that she did like she was a huge support she started seeing the signs after that attempt she was like tell me there are things that you're not telling me and then I told her everything 
Then she was like, you need to get rid of this man. This is not healthy for you. How dare he does it? But again, with my dad, he had they had a lot of projects going on with, you know, yeah, money matters. So so the two years between the five years when it happened and the seven where you ended was the master's. Yes. That was the time where you were still living with him. Yeah. Yeah, to finish your master's. Yes. And then when you finished your master's, what happened? I got another job. I applied for uh, I applied for uh, the skilled migration. So if you have a master's and if you can speak one of the following languages, English is one of them, then you apply for to work or to live in other countries. If the the subject that you did your master's in is in the top professions in that country, luckily agriculture was in the top ten. And I got the visa, and uh, yeah, then I came. All right. I just wanted to ask you, because five years and you're like, I'm not taking it anymore. Yeah. you. I, I'm living my life, I'm living by the rules, but yet you mentioned that the abuse yeah. did not finish. No, it kept on. Ever. It kept on. And that's why I could really never get completely rid of that depression because whenever the abuse would come again I would feel helpless I would have sleepless nights I would have this crazy insomnia I just a lot of things you know and then when it comes back then I'm just telling myself hey you know what take it easy because I got used to the abuse to be honest you know I, I thought okay that's how men treat women or something And then I was always looking like, no worries, it's only five hours left, then it's morning, then you're going to go to uni, you're going to go to work, you're going to see your friends. So it was kind of like depressed, but self-motivating myself. So how, how did you start seeing the light that you could get out of this marriage? I didn't. I just knew that uh, I, I, wasn't, I didn't have a solution. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I just knew that I wanted to get out of it. And that feeling itself was so strong that I knew I would make a way. I, something would happen. But of course, not just like sitting every day. I was applying for jobs. I was like consulting, looking at the internet about different countries. Like where can I go if I meet the criteria or everything. So, yeah. The light, I would still say it didn't. Not the light, but it started after I survived. So being a survivor and then realizing why did I do that? And there is so much in life to do. Like, I can't just waste my life for somebody who's been treating me like shit. I can at least start treating myself, you know, better. And then things would get better. And it did. Was there someone that helped you through it? My mom. Um, but I knew her help was very limited <laughs> because she couldn't do much. And uh, two of my really good friends. Yeah. yeah. Because this path from, you know, I'm worthless mm. to being able to, you know, internally sustain yourself yeah. and c keep on self-motivating mm. through this, uh, through the whole abuse yeah. and toxicity. There must have been something within you that helped you keep on going? I didn't want to die. That's that one thing. Because even when I attempted, 
in my mind, the thought was, you know what, I want to sleep for a whole month to get away from the drama. But because all this like Xanax and this, this triggers a lot of, you know, negative thoughts. So I was unable to differentiate between actually dying and sleeping for a whole month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that. Well, I actually forgot what I was saying. No, it, it must just <laughs> take like an in, like in, incredible amount of like power from within yourself from somewhere yeah. to to continue, mm -hmm. and without even knowing there's an end date. Yeah, you know, like I'm just curious how and i i think that's also marta's question like how do you continue that getting up every day when there's like you didn't know that oh in two years i will be leaving yeah now when you mentioned the date i remembered this feeling very like you know clearly that i was telling myself okay i am 23 i don't know if i'm going to live 50 or 60 or 70 and i cannot think of spending my the rest of my life just being with him and that was very sad to th think about it but at the same time motivating that now I know you know it can never be like a forever thing so I have to do something for myself and that feeling was like you know every day one other small thing I used to have these uh, these like coats on the wall and on in the toilet everywhere and it says uh no matter how bad it is or how bad it gets, you are going to make it. And just like, just like, you know, seeing that quote in my own handwriting and then just like, you know, telling myself like, hey, you wrote it. Now you better go for it. Like, it, you know, it's going to be fine. Where did that quote come from? Um, that actually is um, a guy. He's called Les Brown. Uh, he writes um, self-motivation, motivational books. And I think I just, that's when I first discovered him. So just saw a video of him saying this quote and uh, loved it. All right. So yeah. you were just looking for ways out. Yes, I was. Yeah. You finished your uh, master's degree. You mm -hmm. had a job and you were just looking for the ways out. Yeah. And that's where you found that skill migration. And then a really good friend of my dad's who was who could sense that I'm not doing well, he did his master's from Denmark. So he was just like, hey, you know, let me help you because uh, I have been to that country and I think Denmark and Australia are the best right now, so let's get further with it. So sending that application, gathering all the documents, he helped me a lot. Okay. Yeah. So there was a friend yeah. of your dad that could yeah. see that you are not doing well, that extended that... Yeah. Helping hand. I'm happy that he could see that where my dad maybe couldn't. Yeah. So. Did you ever talk to your dad? Because you did say to your mom yeah. what was happening. I did not tell my dad exactly what happened in those seven years, like face to face. But I mean, he could see that I'm not happy. And I told him several times that I'm not happy. I want to get away from him. This is making me depressed. It's a lot of things. But I think maybe he didn't understand the seriousness of it or I don't know but yeah that's that's still like a little bit disappointing sometimes but it's okay mm. all right so you got into Denmark yeah 
How did you how did you make it happen? I I was your ex-husband all right with that decision? He was all right because he knew that I've never been outside Pakistan ever and uh, together him and uh, my dad they were kind of making like not fun but kind of making a joke like take it as a vacation here you go take the money you need just go there visit and come back you don't know the country you don't know the language you don't know anything so you're going to call us after 2 3 months crying like please bring me back home and i was laughing in my head because i knew that would not happen because i knew once i leave that would be i'm burning the bridges so it's not going to be a way back So they were fine they even dropped me at the airport and we were talking for a bit also with I did not talk to my dad actually for 9 months no so I was kind of vanished from his life I was talking to my mom and then I sent I got a lawyer because I think I was I I'm grateful that I started working in UNICEF like very soon so it was my 14th day in Denmark when it was my first day at UNICEF and i started as a street fundraiser so you know that that is hardcore <laughs> so then i knew i had a job then i found a lawyer then i sent the case and my mom and two friends they helped me a lot getting the process done actually so you 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 came here because you mentioned you were studying agriculture mm-hmm. and that's something that was valued but yet you came and you started working at the unicef can you just tell us a little bit because it just like yeah two different things. Yes. That's actually one of the things that I like about being in Denmark because they don't really care about degrees that much, you know. As long as you have the skill, they will make it work. So, yes, but I had to make ends meet, so I had I was applying everywhere. In those two weeks, I think I hardly slept 3 hours in one night. All the time with my laptop applying for all sort of jobs like starting from a bartender cleaning waitress to everywhere you know and it uh, yeah so that's that's who i heard from first in 14 days and then i was just like you know uh, i i have no right to just say no i'm not going to do this i will make it work so i started working so that was which year 2016 summer 2016 yeah. summer mm-hmm. so that was your first job in Denmark yes that was my first job <laughs> so uh, h- tell us about that time okay you come from Pakistan you said you never left the country yeah. and you got some money from your dad and your yes. husband yeah i yeah. did i mean i got some money because on the wedding there was a lot of jewelry like gold and diamond and stuff and i never wore it So I just sold the jewelry and then my dad bought a laptop for me, my ex bought a ticket for me, so and they gave me some money like <laughs> in reserve like oh she's never been outside. Here you go, take like 30,000 kronas for the first couple of months. But luckily I didn't have to use all of their money. So yeah. how did you find the place to stay? Well, Facebook I had a friend of my dad's Um he lives in Copenhagen so they are the ones who picked me up from the airport and I stayed at their place for a few days and then while I was at their place I was looking for jobs I was looking for places and then I found like a a room through Facebook or through you know yeah All right so you freed yourself physically 
You I came out know. of that relationship physically. Uh, you escaped to another country. Mm-hmm. And wh- as soon as you earned uh, the money uh, and were secure enough, you asked for help to get divorced. Yes. What about freeing yourself mentally and emotionally? Um, I was very hard, actually. And I started doing that because I realized, like, you know, it's never too late. Now I'm free physically. I can start thinking about it. So I started therapy, I would say, yeah, three years ago. And then the first couple of months were shit. Like, I didn't want to talk about it. I would miss my sessions. I would just like, oh, I'm sick. I'm not coming or anything. But then it started getting better. And I just saw right through it, you know, with courage and with open eyes. So now it's it's so much better. I still have flashbacks. Um, yeah, going through some post-trauma stuff. So I take, you know, some medication, like both in the night and in the morning. But that is, I know that's very temporary. It would go away too, where, you know, it has gotten so much better. So it's just a thing that I have to follow because doctors recommend it and I have to go with it. So do you continue with the therapy? Yes. Actually, since I moved to Aarhus, I didn't go and see any therapist, which has been since October. But uh, I feel like I also, moving to Aarhus has helped a lot. It's very low-key and calm and, you know, a lot of time with yourself. So for now, I feel like maybe a couple of more months, I'm fine. I don't need it. I just need to spend my time wisely with the people that I like and some quality time, reading, writing, music, working. So that's just going to keep me busy and I'm happy about it. I don't feel the need at the moment to go see a therapist, but I'm continuing with my medication because that's just like I have this flashbacks and crazy insomnia. So if I don't take my night medicine, I can't fall asleep. So that is just to be efficient in my work because I don't want to work when I have had a sleepless night, as an example. So work-wise, how... Sina, did you want to ask something? No, I'm just... um, I don't have many words right now. I'm just uh, really enjoying listening to your your story again and uh, hearing the questions from you. Yes, so you... You you were collecting money uh, on the streets for UNICEF. Yeah. And how did you get to the place where you became the manager? Well, hard work, dedication, and that's it. I did not expect. I still remember my first day, like, starting as a street fundraiser. I It was my dream, like, I want to be a team leader one day. And then I tell myself... Hell no, like, they're never going to take you. Then I was like, well, you know, no need to think negative. I'm just going to do my best. So it had been one hell of a journey. I would say UNICEF, working for UNICEF has become like a lifestyle now. So it's not just a workplace for me. I connect with it. I enjoy it. I love it. I put my blood, sweat and tears in it. So that's, uh, I'm really happy about it, yeah. Because you were asked... To come to Aarhus, right? Yes. It wasn't like because you applied. Like no. you, it was because of your skills yeah. that you were asked to come to Aarhus. Yeah. I just wanted to underline yeah. that. 
No, I actually, uh, because I was getting to that point where I was a bit, you know, bored because it has been four and a half, five years. So I was just like, okay, let me do something new. So I decided to resign and then look for something else. And while I resigned, uh, I was asked that, what can we do to make you stay? And then I said, okay, well, you know, something different because it's getting boring. Then they made this new position and they offered me and I took it right away. Yeah. So you've made it really far on your journey. Yes. Yeah. You have really gotten yourself out of a, what could for many people be a hopeless situation. Yeah. Where yeah. you couldn't get the support from your family. Yeah. Your husband was mm. seriously abusive. Yeah. He was uh, all sort of abuse, like emotional, <coughs> sexual, physical, mental, like it was, it was crazy. But at the same time, I think that has made me learn a lot like about people in general, about love, about relationships, about boundaries, about, you know, where to take stand and where not to take stand. So I've learned a lot and that's why I don't have any regrets. That's why it's like, you know, in my head, there is no need to be like a victim sort of thing, you know, came out of it. I created a new life for myself. So I'm, I'm happy about it. Not proud, but I'm happy and you're, humble. Yeah, <laughs> you're happy, you're humble. You're yeah. stepping out from the victim role, yes, which I is am. not easy. This is not easy for many people to step out of that. I feel like I didn't have any other option because I didn't want to be the person who nags about everything, you know. So I'd see it as I didn't have an option, like, you know, to either be victim or, or something. No, it was like, hey... You don't want to be a victim, then you better be like a goddamn survivor. Yeah, and you found your space in UNICEF. You say yes. that it became a lifestyle for you. Yes, that it this did. is something you connect with, yeah. you love. Yeah. So, is that the place that gives you the sense of family? It does actually. Now I would say actually Denmark and UNICEF both. Since last year, it has started giving me the feeling of, like, family, you know. This is the place where I belong. But work-wise, it's, it's not that much of a family feeling that it's, like, country-wise. And, you know, just knowing your word that, hey, I'm good at what I do. Because, you know, like, in real world, you can't attach too much of your emotions with the workplace. So you got to find a balance and a boundary there, too. Yeah. So you, I hear that you have gone really far, but mm -hmm. you still have flashbacks and you can have some problems with insomnia. So the healing process mm. is still ongoing. Yes. Very much. Yeah. Your psyche is still healing. Yeah. From all the abuse and trauma. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to women who are in this kind of situation where they are in abusive relationships and they are looking for ways out i would say i understand what you are going through i see you because i was in your shoes once but don't take that abuse no do something about it even if it is a doing like a little bit 
where you're getting out of bed every day and and going to your university going to see your friends or reading a book it's still something so take small baby steps but don't compromise on your word get out of that relationship if it's abusive no we have to be with people who value us and how can you like when you're when you're in this p- place where you were as well where you feel worthless mm-hmm. where you feel okay my life cannot matter if someone is treating me this way mm-hmm. it doesn't worth it how how can you find that meaning within yourself that no i am worth it no matter yeah. the circumstances no matter how he treats me yeah i think you got to look at the positive sides anyways so i remember what i used to do is actually make a list like pros and cons and what is like something positive in my day so it's it's all about looking at the bright side because maybe because of Xanax or my mental health or state or abusive things i was forced to think in that direction that i'm worthless but no i'm not i mean as humans every single person all of us have that potential in us and that potential is so like you know worthy that that can make us do anything we want and that's just a message for women like please don't don't compromise on your where things would work out you just got to take the step even if it's like baby steps take them so you say that even reading a book getting out of the bed definitely like you know doing at least one thing which is even like cooking for you calling an old friend or something something for you that would you because you never know sometimes you're watching something and reading and it clicks it clicks you know something somebody says just like this quote from les brown like no matter how bad it is or how bad it gets you're going to make it that just clicked somewhere in my head and i was like hell yes because we have that potential it's all about like understanding knowing yes i'm depressed i'm worthless however i'm not worthless i have like two hands two legs i'm i should be grateful that i have a body that works so i better you know get back to some work do something so what are you looking forward to for yourself isha for myself uh, for this year I want to apply for permanent residence which I'm going to send the application in a week. Uh yeah. Looking forward to that and then I'm going to celebrate it. And then I'm going to keep on uh working on healing myself where I find a place where I don't need any pills. I'm just happy without it. So that's the that's the goal. Yeah. Freeing yourself Yeah, from well first getting your mm-hmm. place here yeah. booked here yeah. in Denmark in the place <laughs> where you feel you belong. Yeah. Uh celebrating that. Yeah. Yeah. Creating that for yourself. Yeah. That sense of safety. Yeah, it is. That sense of family in the new country. And then getting free from the pills. Yeah. Finding that strength fully in yourself. That's actually on my to-do list for this year. I know I'm going to do it but yeah I will I will do it it's again like one thing at a time I if I put too much pressure on my head then I would end up doing nothing so yeah. that's why it's like small small mm-hmm. things thank you for sharing your story you're welcome I yeah. hope it it helps the listeners and yeah that's it absolutely 
Thank you so much for it. Sina, do you have some final words? I'm just really, really grateful that you came here to share your story and to listen also to, especially also in the end, the gentleness that you also have for yourself mm-hmm. and and the, the baby steps that it's... Yeah. That it's I'm that too. That. Yeah, I'm learning that mm-hmm. to be kind, kind to be to myself, yeah. not to be too hard on myself. That that is something that that doesn't come easy, but it's coming slowly. Thank you so, so much. Thanks so for inviting guys. Yeah. <laughs> thank you be so kind much to yourself and thank you for your courage. Thank you for this conversation and thank you everyone for listening. Bye. 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 You are listening to You've Got 5 Options radio show.